Hello and welcome to episode 158 of Page One, the Writer's Podcast. I'm Marco. I'm Tarek. And thanks for joining us on the podcast where we like to speak to writers of all kinds about their writing journeys, find out how they got into the industry and try and get as many hints and tips from them as possible. And we've had over 150 great guests on the podcast, so if you haven't checked it out before, please do look at the back catalogue because there's bound to be someone there that you like. And before we get on to this week's guest, I just want to give a shout out for our new sister podcast page one extra which is a video podcast that's focusing on the writing news that's been happening so it's a more topical podcast but we also have guests on there and this week's episode features uh, sam holland and we're talking about whether ebooks are too cheap which is perhaps a slightly controversial topic, but um, <laughs> depends, yeah, uh, depends who you're asking, I suppose. Yeah, the, for authors, yes. For readers, <laughs> no. It's probably the simple answer. Yeah, there. I think that's probably right. But uh, yeah, it, we get into all that. So please do go and check that out. Um, we have released the first episode on this podcast feed, but it will, from going forward, it will be on page one extra. So if you search for that and subscribe to that, that would be great. And as I say, it's a video podcast, so you can go to our YouTube channel which is youtube.com at page1pod, and uh, watch the whole episode, which has been expertly edited by our producer, Tim. David is a fantastic-looking video, and yeah, very, very pleased with it. So here's here's hoping you all enjoy it. I know, it, it makes us almost look professional, Tarek, which is <laughs> saying something. It shows the skills that Tim has. Um, uh, but this week, we have another great guest on this podcast. Yeah, this week we're chatting with the wonderful Jane Williams, who um, is kind of one of those authors that we chatted before who's kind of able to jump between genres a little bit. And uh, she started off as a as a fantasy writer with her Copper Promise series of books back in 2014. And she's kind of made a shift into the world of crime a little bit now. Yeah, it's interesting speaking to her about that because, you know, it, it's one thing to move some sort of crime to more straight thrillers or mystery or something like that mm-hmm. but fantasy to crime is is a big genre jump and we talked to her about you know we why she didn't use a new pseudonym which often happens when writers write in two completely different genres like that um and you know why she wanted to do some crime writing and take a break from the fantasy writing she absolutely still is a fantasy writer as well but it, it you know she's just wanting to write more things which you know Speaking personally, as a writer, I totally get. I always have a million ideas, and they're not always stuck to the to the same genre. So, yeah. being able to do that as a published author is actually quite um, unusual, really, because often publishers want you to stick to one path and just keep churning out books in in the same path. So, you know, it's a good opportunity that she has there. Yeah, no, absolutely, and it's 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 a good example of if you want to kind of branch away. And and, and as you say, her latest book is Games Games for Dead Girls. Uh, which came out uh, the end of March, just there, and um, it, it, it's a crime book, but it's got, a, a, I suppose, supernatural elements to it. Yeah. I think so. I suppose, you know, I guess it depends how far you want to jump completely, because she keeps her same name. She doesn't. She doesn't use a pseudonym like some yeah. authors when they jump genre completely. So it's a really good. It's a really good interview. And it's a really good example of someone who's branched away from their initial path, but but kept their name and not had to reinvent themselves. So if you're interested in doing anything like that, some really good hints and tips in here. Yeah, definitely. I should say that we recorded this podcast before Games for Dead Girls came out. 
Um, mm-hmm. So it, I think there's references to it coming out. So yeah, the, the, it came out in March. You can still grab it. We'll put a link in the podcast description. But we will get on with the rest of the podcast right now after a quick advert for our writer's notebook. And then we'll be back at the end of the podcast with a bit more chat and to let you know about next week's guest. But for now, on with the podcast. The blank page. To some, it's terrifying, an obstacle to overcome. But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is, write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down, or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made page one. Page one is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project, whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic or any other kind of story. We truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember... Every story starts with page one. Did you always want to be a writer? Because I read that you asked for a desk and a typewriter for your birthday when you were uh, a child. (laughs) So has that always been a lifelong ambition then? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's pretty obvious. I was a pretty nerdy child. Uh, obviously and um, yeah the first thing I remember asking for was a desk um, I always wanted to write and draw things basically to have if that's what you wanted to do all the time um, so yeah I got a desk and then a few years later I asked for a typewriter um, and I used to write little stories so yeah I've always wanted to 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 write and to draw all the time you know that was my big loves when I was a kid and then as as I've gotten older it kind of became uh a bit more serious I suppose and you start to take it a bit more seriously mm. um yeah so I kind of I went through school really uh I loved English and I loved art you know those are my favorite subjects and um I loved writing short stories um I think I went to kind of like a big uh sprawling comprehensive school in Erith um, which is sort of southeast London, and the idea of having a career in the arts wasn't particularly um, kind of pushed towards you. Um, you know, it wasn't something you, everyone thought that was kind of a slightly ridiculous idea. I think, and so I had a lot of conversations with adults as a as a young person or as a child where they were like, "Yes, it's a great 
hobby, but you need to do a proper job, you know. Um, And I, (laughs) the idea of having a career in the arts was like wanting to be a unicorn or something. Um, So being quite either contrary or not really um, paying attention, I sort of switched from wanting to be a writer to wanting to be an illustrator, which if anything is even harder. Uh, yeah. um, Yeah. So, um, so I, I ended up going to art college after school rather than um, sort of studying creative writing or anything like that. I don't think it ever occurred to me to go and do creative writing, actually. Um, I don't think that was even, I, I even considered it um, because I was quite, by that time I thought, you know, I, an illust- I want to be an illustrator, I'll go and do an illustration degree. So that's what I went and did. I think I I'd sort of considered doing a history degree for a little while um, because I really loved history, the, the humanities. But um, when it came down to it, history looked like a lot of work. Um, <laughs> art college didn't. So, and at the time as well, I, you know, I was still writing short stories on the side, but I didn't think I had the uh, the stamina to write a whole book. Mm-hmm. So um, I think because for history, obviously you have to write a lot of essays and um, I just didn't really feel like it. So I went to art college uh did a foundation course I uh, took a year off after that because I didn't particularly like it um and I went and I worked in a bookshop for a year and then after that I decided actually I don't really have any ideas of what I want to do yet so maybe I should go back you know to my original plan so I went to art college um in Kent did an illustration degree which I also didn't really like and kind of came out of it a bit dispirited um and a bit unsure of what I was supposed to do really um and I went to I started working at Waterstones you know uh with no other ideas of what to do basically and it was while I was at Waterstones that I started writing more seriously um and started to think well maybe I could write a whole book you know um and now I write really long books so (laughs) yeah well because because I think I read that you you sort of started that first attempt at a novel or or what was to become that first attempt at a novel with sort of just writing basically loosely connected scenes uh, as a, as a sort of starting point was that was that the the sort of natural way in i suppose if you'd been doing sort of short stories then writing loosely yeah. connected scenes is maybe the the natural progression from that i think so i mean i remember it quite vividly actually because i'd had a really bad day at work <laughs> Um, I was really sick of the place and I went home and uh, I thought I would do some writing to sort of, as like catharsis or to sort of, you know, cheer myself up. And I wrote this really quite dark scene about a girl who's sacrificed to witches and all this stuff. And I didn't know where it came from or what it was about, um, but it, I found it really interesting. And I thought, well, I, I kind of want to know what happens, what, how this girl got into this situation. So I started to write other scenes to try and find out um, how that had come about. And that gradually became a book. I mean, an incredibly bad book, like <laughs> just an absolute hot mess. Um, well, I was going to say because I saw you describe that novel as both dreadful and also the key to everything, and I had to know what <laughs> this. What did that mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was dreadful, um, and part, partly I think because I was writing it in these sort of disconnected ways disconnected scenes uh just writing randomly what I felt like writing and I had no idea how to write a book or how to structure it I hadn't 
obviously I hadn't done any creative writing classes. I didn't even do English at A-level. Um, so I had like no basis at all for what I was doing. I was just making up as I went along. Um, so it was pretty bad. It was also kind of me trying to rip off Terry Pratchett a lot of the time because he was, you know, such a big deal mm-hmm. for me as a young person. So, you know, he was my favorite and I wanted to write like him. So it's all kind of, you know, substandard Terry Pratchett jokes um, in a kind of epic fantasy, witchy mess. Um, but the thing was, as I was writing it, I realized that I loved doing it. I really loved doing it. And that kind of sudden um, kind of the scope that a book has, that a short story doesn't necessarily have, was really exciting. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, well, this is what this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Even if it's really bad, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, and when I'd finished it as well, I think finishing things is really important. It really kind of, that teaches you a lot as well, um, actually getting to the end of something. Um, and I kind of, I think I actually got it printed out, you know, like you go to the local print shop and I got them to print out this manuscript that was huge, you know, um, and a complete mess. And I kind of, when I printed it out and bound it, I was like, right, that's it. It's done. Um, I never have to look at it again. Um, (laughs) And I started writing the next one. And I kind of did that about, I think five or six times uh, in a row, just writing a book, getting to the end of it putting it away um, until I started to feel like maybe it's possible someone else could look at it and their eyes wouldn't fall out with horror and disgust at the the mess I'd made, you know? So, um, yeah, so it was, it was the key, you know, it was the key because I, without that terrible book, I wouldn't have realized that that was what I was supposed to be doing. And, and it, through those, through that, period of of writing these books um essentially for yourself and i suppose in a way to i'm guessing use that phrase find your voice and and all of that stuff did your did your process change through that time so i mean the first one started with these loosely connected scenes did you start outlining stuff more revising how how did that all develop yeah i guess i it was a very i guess a very slow process of figuring out how I write a book um, and kind of trying out a different way each time for a while. So I think the book immediately after that first one, um, I didn't didn't plan it, but I did write it in order, (laughs) which turned out was a lot easier um, (laughs) and made a lot more sense. Um, And then the one after that, I think I, I started to play around with the idea of planning um, I know there was one that I wrote that was a kind of a weird urban fantasy horror set in Elephant and Castle um, that I planned really meticulously. So I had pages and pages of notes of exactly what would happen in each chapter um, and how they would, you know, have the, the structure of the book and the third act and all of that. I spent ages planning it out. Um, and what I discovered through doing that was that kind of takes all the joy out of writing a book for me because mm-hmm. I felt like I'd already written it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I realised that I wasn't that kind of really meticulous planner. But, I mean, all, every single one sort of taught me this, you know, a, a useful lesson, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, until 
I think eventually I kind of arrived. I mean, it's, it still changes all the time. I think your process always does change from book to book a little bit. But these days I'm, I'm kind of a very loose planner mm-hmm. uh, with, I, I usually write a, a loose plan with maybe like a kind of beach sheet of where I expect things to happen. And then about 60,000 words into the book, I usually abandon the plan. So, and then it'll go completely off, you know, off, off script and, that I've kind of accepted that that's my that's the way that I work is I have to have you know almost like handrails to get into the book and then once I'm you know on my way then I tend to ignore them yeah and and the first book then that you know that after you'd written these five or six books and you finally thought to yourself right I feel like I've kind of cracked it or I've, or I've written something something that I'm happy with that was a copper promise right that was that was your first kind of published novel yeah, well, there was one um, just immediately before that, which was um, a young adult fantasy book that I had partly written for uh, NaNoWriMo, you know, the okay. National Novel Writing Month, mm-hmm. um, which I also was really helpful um, over those years. And um, that was the one where I started to think, oh, maybe I can start shopping this around or like, you know, getting other people to read it. By that point, I had some beta readers um, and they were, you know, they were quite positive about it. And I felt like it, it felt like a book, you mm-hmm. know, it felt like almost like something you could pick up in a bookshop and look, you know, sort of flick through the pages as opposed to a bunch of disconnected scenes. And um, that was the one that I started thinking that I would uh, start querying agents with. And I did, I drew up a, I drew up a list of agents, um, funnily enough, Juliet Mushin's at the top. And then I kind of did a sort of huge procrastination period where I realised that the idea of sending out my book was terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'd have to deal with rejection and all sorts of awful things. Um, so I started to find literally anything else to do than um, submit this book. And one of the things I decided to do was write a series of novellas that I would self-publish. I mean, that's yeah. taking procrastination to the <laughs> to the ultimate level. There, it is ridiculous. Like to try, you know, to distract yourself from one book, you write another one. I mean, this uh, this is what writers are like, though, isn't it? As well, you know. Um, so I started writing this novella, and it was kind of like a very. Um, sort of knockabout fantasy sword and sorcery novella that I was writing for fun essentially I thought I'm going to write something just to please myself I'm gonna it's be about 20,000 words long I'll bung it up on Amazon or whatever uh, and I'll write like a serial you know I thought that sounds like a fun thing to do Um, and you know I did really enjoy it I enjoyed writing the first part and um, I started to get some good feedback from people when I put it up and uh, one of them was an editor who said you know you should complete this you know make it into a full book and then submit it and which completely and throw myself into a huge panic because here I am trying to avoid that whole process (laughs) Um, and that was that was what the that that was how the copper promise came about basically so so when you put it up do you mean that you were yourself published it on amazon is that or was it on a website that you were putting that up no i put it on amazon um it was the first essentially i guess the first 10 percent of the copper promise Mm -hmm. um so like originally there were there were going to be four novellas and uh i put the first one up on amazon i think it was there probably for about 
six months or something. It wasn't, right. you know, and it didn't, it wasn't like a huge bestseller or anything, but it got a lot of nice reviews and a lot of people being really nice about it. And um, so I took it down again and I completed it. I sort of, you know, wrote the whole story. I thought, well, you know, maybe this is the one, <laughs> maybe this is the one that I start querying. Um, and I uh, happened to be talking to a friend of mine, um, Adam Christopher, who writes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. yeah. Yeah, because we were, you know, we've known each other, I guess, for about 16, 17 years. Um, horrifically, long before either of us were writing, seriously, really. And um, uh, we used to talk to each other about our writing projects a lot. And he said, I, you know, he knew Juliet Martians and said, do you know, she's looking for epic fantasy at the moment. And I was like, oh, God, you know. And so that was it. I, I. I've sent off my query letter to Juliet with the copper promise. Genuinely the first one I'd ever sent. <laughs> um and and that was it. Yeah. And she she picked it up. Um so I mean it's a really sickening story in many ways because I didn't go through, you know, the the trenches of Yeah, uh, but you've been you've been through the trenches of writing the, the yeah. these other novels and everything. You've just not you may not have sent it out to other sent these out yeah. to, to people and gone through that process but i think it's you know it's not like um yeah it's the first thing you ever wrote yeah exactly no, that's true yeah, exactly. No, I mean, it was we have had some of those guests and they are particularly <laughs> annoying <laughs> <laughs> yeah. was there was there problems when you with having had part of it put up or, or already you know because i'm wondering if people out there listening who maybe have done something similar and thought oh I can't use that work anymore because of what I've already put out there or was there no issue with it yeah because I I assumed that as well you know I thought oh that's going to cause a problem but Mm -hmm. I think it might be different if you've put the whole book up Mm -hmm. um but also it might not be um I do know that there's been obviously there's been self-published authors who've gone traditional uh and have had their books bought by traditional publishers but no it wasn't I don't even remember really having a conversation about it apart from making sure that I'd taken it down, you know, from, from Amazon. Um, and because it was only literally the first 20,000 words, I think, I don't and think. Probably largely changed as well, I'd imagine, by the time it, it went. It did, yeah. Um, yeah, quite a bit would have changed um, when it was, you know, professionally edited because, yeah, because it always changes quite a bit. Um, yeah, so it was fine. Yeah. And And when, so this was the first time essentially that you've, you've sent it out you've sent it out into the world to let someone read it apart from some beta readers that you had as you said yeah. so and and Juliet uh, obviously liked it enough to pick it up I mean was there what was the process after that was there a round of edits several rounds of edits before you then went out to publishers yeah I mean it was pretty it was actually quite fast because I I remember uh getting Juliet's email um, after I'd submitted it while I was standing at the bus stop waiting to go home after work and her you know saying um that she loved it and she'd like to represent me and me you know nearly having a breakdown at the bus stop and um and then she because she's quite an editorial agent you know she's um very good uh at the editorial side of things so she will go through the book with you and um come back with her feedback so we did I think one big round of edits on it I didn't it's weird but I can't remember now whether they were really bad or not <laughs> it's like you kind of you know it's, I guess it was quite a while ago now so yeah, I yeah. forgiven yeah. for not remembering that maybe but I don't remember it being that painful 
Um, and then it went out on submission uh, pretty fast, I think. So I might be misremembering it, but it feels like uh, she signed me kind of towards the end of the year and then the book went out on submission kind of in the spring of the next year, I think. Um, and, and then, and then it went to, um, we had two publishers interested in it. So I had a couple of meetings with editors, which was really fun because, um, I just, I really like getting a free lunch, basically. <laughs> my, my publishing exactly. dream is always... The pressure's off you in that meeting. They're trying to sell them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. at that point, so yeah. yeah, it's fabulous because, they, you know, they're trying to, you know, get you to go with them. So you just have... the most expensive thing in the menu and just... Uh... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but I was, I was very, I do remember I was very nervous, um, you know, uh, when I met. John Wordsworth, who was the editor at Headline at the time, um, we met in this uh, coffee shop in London. And I remember I put about 40 sugars in my coffee, <laughs> not paying attention. You know, I was just really um, so nervous to the point where Juliet was like, Jen, you've put way too much sugar in your coffee. What are you doing? Um, but it was brilliant. We had a really good chat. And Headline ended up being the, you know, the um, the publisher that we went with and, uh and yeah, so it felt really fast. I guess it probably didn't. I mean, time in publishing is so weird. Yeah. Uh, you know, because it feels often like everything's happening at once and then you'll have a year of doing nothing mm-hmm. or a year of waiting for something, you know. So that part felt really quick. And then waiting for your book to actually be published felt like a billion years. Um, yeah. And then I think when it was with headline we did I, I did like a big structural edit with john um and that was the point where i learned how much editing is involved um with writing books uh it's almost as my um, adam was always saying it's you know 10 percent first draft and 90 percent rewriting it mm-hmm. yeah is how it works uh and i was introduced to the horror of the copy edit um which i still hate with my life and um <laughs> And then, and then proofreading as well, which was interesting. So, yeah, it was a, it was a going from somebody who'd basically not really done much uh, kind of research about um, how publishing works, how traditional publishing works, um, to suddenly learning all of that in like a six month period. It was great, you know. It was. But I always think that as well that at the by the by the end of the process, you must be thoroughly sick of the book almost. You've seen it so many times in so many versions and you're just like, right, I'm ready to move on. Yeah, Yeah, I just, I violently hated, I think violently hated every book by the end of it. (laughs) Some of them more than others, but uh, yeah, there is a point where you're like, if I have to look at this book again, I will lose my mind. (laughs) Well, I mean, after you wrote The Copper Promise, you wrote three more books in that series and... And they're kind of largely standalone novels, I suppose, even though they're set in the same series. But then after that, you went to the Winnowing Flame books, and that's a proper trilogy where you can't really really read them out of order, etc. And and I wondered what was, you know, how did that come about? Did you plan it to be a three-book story? Did you pitch it like that? And how did you find writing it compared to standalone novels? Yeah, it was, it was, it was a, it was a deliberate decision because. When I finished the Copper Cat trilogy, I thought what I wanted to do was obviously write more fantasy, but I wanted to write something different. 
um, and to challenge myself in ways that, uh, in, in new ways, I suppose. So yeah, the Copper Cat trilogy, I mean, it's, it, it, they are joined stories. They're about the same characters, but you can get away with reading them individually because mm-hmm. they're, you know, very much separate adventures. But so I wanted to do with the next trilogy was to write one where there is one overarching story, um, and kind of have to actually tackle that kind of, you know, how much do you set up in the first book? What happens yeah. in the middle? You know, how do you make a book um, have an overarching story, but also be satisfying in each mm-hmm. in, in each volume? So I was like, yeah, that's what I want to do. And um, I wanted it to be weirder as well than the Copper Cat trilogy, because the Copper Cat is very much sword and sorcery kind of fantasy world that's quite familiar I was sort of messing around with a lot of tropes in it, but they're familiar tropes. So things like um, dragons and taverns and mead and, uh, you know, beards and shouting is what I, how I used to describe it. And um, so I wanted the Winning Flame trilogy to be a much more unique world that was, you know, purely mine, as opposed to me kind of riffing off of a lot of uh, sword and sorcery that had gone before. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was interesting because I really had to think about it Um probably with more attention than I would have done with, because you have to have a, I, I felt like I needed to have a an end in sight. You know, I had to have a vague idea of what happened in the third book before I started writing the first one. Um, and as it turns out, it was a very vague idea. Um, but there was a, you know, there was a, something that I was aiming towards. Uh, so it was, yeah, it was quite different. It was challenging. Um, but I really really loved it because I think a lot more of the world building was really fully on me to come up with. Uh, and I spent a lot more time uh, kind of building the characters into the world building, if that makes sense. So one of the books that I really love or one of the book series I really love is Robin Hobbs realm of yeah. the modeling um, series. And she does an amazing job of making the world building part of the characters you know and that's what I really wanted to do with the winnowing flame uh so yeah it was it was challenging but fun and also quite scary because you know you have people who have read your first three books and they're expecting you know um, something similar probably or you know or they want the same standard or they want you know they want something that they're familiar with so it's a little bit scary um having to come up with another trilogy and hoping that this will please people in the same way that the you know the original one did well i'm i'm actually i'm reading the ninth reign uh, just now i'm really enjoying it and oh, i'll say you. the 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 what you've said there about robin robin hobbs books um, which I've just read really recently as well. I think the world building is on a par with that. I think it really does draw you into it, and you get a real idea of what the world is. So I'm I'm really looking forward to reading the other books in, in the cool. series as well. Um, what, what, when you're writing a trilogy like that, we've, we've spoken to uh, quite a few fantasy authors now on on the podcast, and they the, they all seem to have a different view as to which books were the easiest or the most fun to write in that in that arc of three books i mean what 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 was your take on it mm. it's yeah it's, it is tricky i mean with the copper cat 
books. Definitely the hardest one to write was the second one, um, The Iron Ghost, for lots of reasons, I think, probably because um, it was the first book I was writing with any sort of expectation on me, you know, because people had just read The Copper Promise. So you're starting to get all the reviews for The Copper Promise in as I was writing The Iron Ghost, which is really distracting because you're getting people (laughs) saying, you know, uh, oh, I really loved the dungeon crawling aspect of the Copper Promise, or they're saying I really hated the dungeon crawling aspect of the Copper Promise. It's dreadful. I hope she never does anything like that again. <laughs> so you're like, do I put dungeon crawling in this one or not? Um, so there was that, and uh, I'd never written a sequel to anything before either. You know, all of my previous books, as I said, I just wrote them and then chucked chuck them in the drawer and never looked at them again. So writing a follow up was. Uh, really challenging so I think I I rewrote the beginning of the Iron Ghost three times so uh, and that was chucking out about 60,000 words each time and I did (laughs) I do remember speaking to my editor at the time being like I'm I don't know what I'm doing Um, this is a huge mess Uh, I'm really (laughs) panicking so by the end of writing the Iron Ghost I absolutely hated that book you know I just violently hated it Um, even more than usual and it's only, I think, a couple of years later that I sort of reassessed it and realised that I probably it's probably the best one of the trilogy, but it caused me so much aggro, the worst of writing of it, um, that it was a really difficult and painful process. And then the third one, The Poison Song, was really easy. Loved it. You know, every moment a joy, even though it was much longer than the previous two. Um, I felt like by that point, if the reader's still with you, then you know you're golden basically they're gonna they're gonna come with you to the end of the story so really enjoyed writing the last book in that trilogy whereas with the winnowing flame i think the ninth reign was difficult um but satisfying and by the end of it i genuinely had no idea if anyone was going to like it or not um so that was quite scary the middle one um was difficult as well (laughs) maybe they were all difficult I don't know um and the third one was probably the most complicated to write because yeah because it's a you know overarching story so all of those different plot lines and character arcs all suddenly have to you know come together in a satisfying way at the end uh so that was hard as well they were all hard but I think probably I enjoyed the poison song because it felt really nice to finally be able to write scenes that you've been thinking about mm-hmm. for three years mm-hmm. more or less you know it's like you finally get to write this bit you know that I've been looking forward to for so long so there was a lot of really satisfying character moments you know lots of satisfying character dialogue which is my favorite thing to write unfortunately it was also loads of uh, aerial battle scenes which I hate writing but keep putting them in my book <laughs> um so yeah, tons and tons of that. Well, so one book that doesn't have any aerial action scenes is your latest novel, A Dark and Secret Place. Oh is, yeah. Um called Dog Grows Dirt in the US and and it's a standalone novel and it's a crime novel, it's not a fantasy novel. It's yeah. so it's a, a change up for you. So I wanted to know what was it well, first of all, tell us what the book's about and mm. then why did you decide to go down this kind of different genre? Yeah. Well, it's actually, it's Dog Rose Dirt in the UK. 
Oh, sorry, uh, I've got the wrong way around. Yeah, it's the other way around, basically. But I mean, yeah. Um, a dog well, poster is a much better name, I have to say. That's, that's a great <laughs> name for it. Thank you. You know, um, it went through so many names, this book, so many titles. Uh, uh, we really went back and forth on it um, loads. And I really liked Dog Rose Dirt. And it was all a bit like, oh, I'm not sure how everyone feels about that. And then we ended up going with it. And now, of course, I get loads of people saying, why does it have a different title in the US? That's, you know, it's not as weird and we like it weird and what have you, but <laughs> I mean, what can you do? Um, but yeah, I mean, genuinely a big reason that I wrote Dog Rose Dirt was because I didn't want to write any more aerial battles. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> what genre can I write that definitely won't have dragons in um, and definitely won't have magic or, you know. Um, no, I mean... I was, I really wanted to have a break from fantasy writing for a bit. Um, not because I hate it or anything. Well, actually, I love it. You know, I can't get enough of it. But I felt like I'd exhausted that part of my brain um, and I needed to let it kind of um, <laughs> heal itself um, while I did something else. And um, I, uh, I really love horror and I love crime. I read a lot of true crime stuff and... Um, Juliet also reads a lot of true crime stuff. Um, I think she mentioned when she was talking to you that she was reading uh, that book. Is it Under the Banner of Heaven? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. 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 So we, yeah, we're often swapping things backwards and forwards about um, horrible murders and stuff. And uh, and she said, one day she said, why don't you write a, you know, why don't you write a crime novel or a thriller or something like that to, to, to sort of make use of all the time you spend on Wikipedia <laughs> reading about serial killers? Um, and I thought, okay, yeah, you know, because uh, it would be lovely to write something different. Um, it will be short as well, which will be a nice change because, you know, thrillers only tend to be about 90,000 words and uh, the last fantasy book I'd written was like hundred and. 80,000 words, I think. Um, so, wow, you know, a book that's half the length, that would be yeah. <laughs> nice. Be easy. Be, yeah, be easy. It turns out it's not easy. Um, so, yeah, Dog Rose Dirt is about a woman who's sort of estranged from her mother, and when her mother passes away, she discovers that uh, she had had um, kind of a long uh, correspondence with a very notorious serial killer who was in prison. And it's kind of the the um, the catalyst for her finding out all sorts of strange things. And at the same time, uh, there are copycat murders happening. Um, and uh, yeah, it's kind of a it's a murder mystery, but it's also very much a kind of serial killer thriller with a side of kind of folk horror. There's a lot of weird fairy tale stuff in it. Um, yeah, I'm really bad at pitching it. Um, which is what, which is what you know. Why Juliet is so great at these things? <laughs> she can just sum it up in a it sentence. Is, it's one of the worst parts of the job, I think, having to pitch stuff and to oh, yeah. end stuff into yeah. whether you're sending it to like submissions or whatever. It's a horrible, you know. Yeah, it's like a particular thing. kind of torture, really. When you think <laughs> that, you know, my natural way of telling a story is for it to take 180 thousand words, and then ask me to do it in 30. Yeah, you know, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and in making this this change from fantasy to crime for this novel were you at all concerned that oh my usual 
you know, because you, you mentioned earlier when you changed from uh, the Copper Cat series to um, the Winner in Flame trilogy, you were concerned that the, the, the stories weren't similar enough and people might not like them. Were you mm. concerned making this change from, from one genre to the other that, that readers might not follow you? Yeah, I think it's natural to worry about that. You know, I think uh, it's often you just don't know how it's going to go. Um, and I mean, from I guess from the publisher's point of view, it, it doesn't really matter because they're essentially selling you as a debut crime author. Mm -hmm. um, so they're looking to get the crime audience, you know, um, and hopefully, you know, some of the people that have already read my books will come over to read this one just because they like how I write, maybe. Um, so I guess from their point of view, because uh, they're marketing you as a debut, it doesn't really matter. But I think you I, you do naturally worry about disappointing people or, um, you know, letting them down in some way. Or, you know, I did get a few messages from people saying, are you, are you not writing fantasy anymore? You know, like quite worried or upset about it. And I was like, no, I definitely will. You know, I'm just trying something else for a bit um but you know as it turns out what i did get was lots of messages from from family members uh saying oh we can finally read your books now because <laughs> <laughs> they're way more interested in horrible murders than fantasy so they were very excited about it um yeah i mean it's always a bit of a gamble doing anything where you're sort of hopping genres but um what I, you know, what I've always sort of wanted from the, from the beginning of, you know, having this idea was that I would be able to write both, you know, yeah. I would do maybe alternating years or one, you know, or maybe two a year or whatever, but I, I never wanted to give up writing fantasy. Yeah. No. Yeah. Hopefully. Did, did, did you ever consider, because a lot, author, a lot of authors that do this sort of thing that jump between genres will, I don't know, use their initials. Uh, when mm -hmm. they write crime and, and not when they write fantasy or the other way around or whatever. Did you ever think about doing that or, or using a pseudonym or anything? Yeah, well, I kind of I kind of assumed that's what would happen. You know, I thought, oh, well, I'll get to have a cool pseudonym. And I started coming up with weird names that I could potentially have as a crime writer. Um, <laughs> they were full of things like, you know, uh, very goth terms like Raven's Wing and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, and all this stuff and then when I asked about it they were like no 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 it's fine you just use your <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh okay fine um so yeah I guess I guess in it that it just wasn't um I suppose I, th I think sometimes authors oh, sometimes want to reinvent themselves entirely mm -hmm. um you know and and come at the the industry from a different angle or whatever and i i don't think that was quite what we were going to do it was yeah. more like this is you know this is like i'm going to write both things basically yeah mm -hmm. yeah but i am a little bit sad i didn't get a cool name <laughs> i wanted yeah. to ask you about about finding ideas for stories because you've said that you're a kind of history fan as well and and that seems to seep into your work i think and mm. and i also read online you said that you're you find it impossible for for the politics of the day to kind of seep into your stories as well. And I wondered, is that is that where you get a lot of your inspiration from, kind of historical stuff, modern day events and things? Is, is, it, is that where you get your inspiration from? Yeah, I mean, especially writing fantasy, I think um, history naturally kind of mm -hmm. is a really good source for writing fantasy because, 
you know, I mean, it's kind of obvious, really. I mean, if you look at like um, Game of Thrones, he's obviously writing um, with inspiration, you know, being inspired by the Tudors and various other bloodthirsty bits of history and stuff like that. It's just, I think um, there's always something juicy and weird that you can pick out from history books that will, you know, spark something. Um, So when I started thinking about writing The Ninth Reign, I was reading a book about um, Chinese imperial history and there was a great passage in it i think it was a book by bamba gascoigne randomly and um yeah there was a a passage in there about a city that had been abandoned um it was once the biggest city in the world you know one of the most fabulous most advanced um most extraordinary cities and it had been abandoned because there were invaders coming from the north and everyone had kind of just left it and it had been abandoned for years and there was this great kind of seek, uh, little passage about grass growing up through the through the streets and wolves in and out of the houses. And I thought, this is amazing. You know, I love this idea. Like, um, I want to write about that city. You know, how did it get abandoned? Mm-hmm. And that was the seed of the beginning of um, the city in the ninth reign of the Aboran city um, uh, that sort of is the, I guess, the, I think it features in the beginning, um, the prologue and stuff, and then again in, in the third book. But I just really love that idea, and it, that often happens, you know, with um, with history and fantasy. They do feel like they're very close to each other. So I read a lot of Bernard Cornwell books. Um, I love him; I think he's great. And he wrote three books about King Arthur. Uh, I think they're called the Warlord trilogy. Um, and they are, you know, because it's set so long ago when they didn't really know all that much, there's quite a good sort of margin for him to be able to introduce quite weird stuff, yeah. into, you know, much more than his um, uh, sharp books, for example. And I loved that, you know, I loved that it was almost like it had one foot in fantasy. Um, so, yeah, I do feel like they are. I, I often pick up things from history stuff. And I, in fact, I was my fancy book that comes out in September with Titan she's called Talon Sister the beginning of that one was reading a book about um Roman uh sort of Roman ruins in Britain basically because it was a really interesting book about this this lady had traveled all around Britain to look at all the different Roman ruins but there was a lot of stuff in there about um the history immediately before Rome kind of arrived which we don't really know very much about, mm-hmm. you know, um, and all of that kind of little, the tiny little hints of that, like the stuff about the um, sort of the, there was a lot of queens, there were a lot of, you know, women ruling in Britain at the time and they rode chariots and all that stuff. And there was a lovely sequence about griffins up in the north, you know, there were said to be griffins in Scotland and all this stuff. And I thought, this is brilliant. This is mm-hmm. the beginning of a fancy novel. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah so that was where that, book sort of started i think so yeah um yeah so in terms of like every like modern day politics and stuff yeah i think it kind of it naturally kind of comes in i think when i was writing the winnowing flame trilogy there's a lot of stuff in there about women being oppressed <laughs> and stuff like you know uh the win the winnery itself is like a prison for women mm-hmm. um and i think that's i mean it's you know there's no way it's not related to you know a lot of stuff that was going on in the in the world at the time and feeling quite angry about things often you know 
Yeah. Yeah. And and we've we've also chatted to other fantasy authors about this. You know, fantasy has had, I think, anyway, it appears that it's had a bit of a resurgence in recent years in mm-hmm. terms of you know you you joked there about your family saying they can finally read one of your books, but you know, mm-hmm. more it, fantasy seems to be a more widely accepted uh, genre uh, these days than it, than it was maybe twenty years ago or something, and at the same time. It seems to be a lot of fantasy, modern fantasy seems to be very sort of this term grim dark. It's very grounded. It's very bloody. Mm. Uh, there's lots of sex and, you know, it's it's all of this sort of thing. As opposed to the sort of classic sword and sorcery, epic high fantasy, I suppose. Why do you think that is, that there has been that sort of change? In, or is it just a marketing thing that people market these other ones more? Yeah, I think it's probably a bit of both, you know. Um, there, There's obviously been, I mean, it, when I was a kid, you know, and I was into a lot of nerdy things, um, so really into Star Trek and Star Wars, you know, um, the X-Files and all these things. And back then you could still be considered a nerd for that and you could still be considered a geek for reading Lord of the Rings and what have you. So it's really interesting as an adult that a lot of this stuff is now like incredibly big and mainstream and star wars and star trek have come back in a really big way um and things like game of thrones are now you know that's was the biggest tv show for years mm-hmm. um and it's become it's crossed over into to people who wouldn't normally touch fantasy books yeah uh you know are, are reading it and in fact the um the we watched the final series of game of thrones was being shown at our local pub so there's a <laughs> The pub um, is the Joiners Arms in Camberwell. Had it has these big screens, obviously for football. So you'd often get you know, um, rugby and whatever. Yeah. Um, people going in in big crowds to watch the football, and then they they decided to do it with the last series of Game of Thrones. So we were going and watching the last episodes with a huge crowd of people. Who often, I you know, I, it's impossible to say that none of these people usually read fantasy novels, but I would probably guess that they don't usually most of them um and they were you know we were watching it like it was a football match you know we were cheering and screaming and yeah. um shouting and what have you uh and it was a really strange experience <laughs> in a way because it's like wow this a few years ago you know when yeah. i worked um i used to work uh for the folio society and one i was away on a day trip with some we were going to look at the warehouse bizarrely and we were on a coach for a few hours. So I was reading the first Game of Thrones book. This was way before the TV series um, was even thought of. Mm. I remember other people on that coach taking the piss out of me because I was reading a book with maps in. <laughs> oh, look at you with your giant book with maps at the front. And it's like, now that we're all watching it down the pub. Yeah, it feels like, like the nerds won, doesn't it? Biggest yeah, movies of all time are comic book films and stuff, and it is. It's, it's yeah. as you say, it's kind of flipped on its head the past five, six years or so. Yeah, ten years. Or so. more, yeah, much yeah. more commercial than it was, and um, yeah, and I think the the grimdark thing is partly because of Game of Thrones, um, um, being such a huge popular thing that it was, and I think a lot of stuff that's similar. Uh, gets a lot more marketing because I think mm-hmm. people expect that to be the successful stuff. I think yeah. Yeah. so. Yeah, definitely. When I was writing the when the Copper Promise came out, there was a lot of grim dark. You know, it was all wall to wall grim dark, wall to wall 
horrible murders and uh you know violence and terrible things and which was part of the reason that I wrote The Copper Promise because I wanted to write something that was fun um you know and this is a high body count in it but it's not um it's not dark you know I wanted to write something that was light-hearted mm-hmm. and it felt like quite an unusual thing at the time um and I think we are maybe swinging back the other way a little bit now in yeah see well like the Amazon Lord of the Rings show was mm. felt much more kind of old school fantasy, you know, much more kind of it was dark in places, but not as dark as like House of the Dragon that was on mm. at the same time. Yeah, it felt, it felt yeah. Like, that was interesting to watch contrast. those two kind yeah, of yeah, definitely. <laughs> it was yeah, very different. Um, and I always wanted to ask because you're also I know from your Twitter you're a big video game kind of anime fan, and you know, and in terms of storytelling, it feels like we're kind of in a bit of a golden age at the moment you know there's so many mediums telling so many great stories out there that that mm. never used to be you know video games tell incredible stories nowadays and we've chatted to you some some folk and now you've got things like the last of us being made into a tv show based on the strength of its narrative and things so is this like is this a really nice time to be a writer yeah i mean i i mean i love video games as you know and i you know, will bore on about them at a moment's notice, particularly, you know, because I think people often don't realise that there are incredible stories being told yeah. mm-hmm. in video games. Uh, and although they are, you know, in, in one way they're hugely mainstream, but also they're not, you know, and I don't think people realise the artistry that's going on, the writing that's going on. Um, like in things like I played Red Dead Redemption 2 mm-hmm. a couple years ago i guess now and you know just incredible um the acting in it the um the voice acting and the animation and you know the uh, how it's all put together it was just amazing and it's like it's often difficult to convey to people who don't play video games what a remarkable experience it can be because it's like reading a book but you're in the book yeah (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. things happening to you um and they have this huge emotional impact. So, yeah, I mean, I uh, I, I don't think I would even be writing fantasy at all if it wasn't for um, Bioware's Dragon Age series, mm-hmm. which um, I'm set obsessed with, just obsessed with. But um, when I played Dragon Age Origins when it came out, yeah. it was the first kind of next-gen game that I'd played for a few years, and uh, I had no idea that they could be so you know, sort of sweeping and funny and dark. And it really kind of demonstrated to me how interesting fantasy could be, you know, and how modern it could be Yeah, as well. Because I kind of, I thought, you know, oh, I don't really want to write traditional fantasy because it's very kind of straight-laced and you have to obey these rules and all this stuff. And in fact, Dragon Age just throws through that all out the window, you know, um, and had really funny bits and really dark, disturbing bits. Uh, and it sort of had quite a modern approach to um, gender and stuff. And I thought, no, this is brilliant. I want to write this fantasy, you know. Hmm. So it's lovely to be a writer at, at this time because I can be influenced by video games as much as books and films. Mm-hmm. I think also as someone who, as I certainly grew up reading a lot of the choose your own adventure type stuff, mm-hmm. where you flip back and forth between two options, those kind of games are everywhere now you know you get to pick your own narrative and you get a different story every time you play it and it's just mm. it's fantastic yeah is it's it's a as you say it's 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 massively mainstream and yet so few people actually are exposed to them and it, it's a weird 
kind of dichotomy i think at the moment yeah it's it's weird because obviously they the games industry makes a huge amount of money yeah uh, more than the, the cinema does a lot of yeah the films but do. people don't <laughs> don't know anything about it you know it's um yeah it's weird yeah, yeah i love it um and uh so so what's next for you you said you've you've got the the fancy book coming out this year are you working on anything else just now yeah i've got a another kind of dark crime slash horror novel coming out in march uh called games for dead girls that's coming out with harper voyager uh so that's quite exciting um and i'm writing another of those kind of dark scary books at the moment which i'm not sure when that's coming out probably 2024 which sounds so far in the future it doesn't sound real but um obviously that's next year so um yeah which is crazy so yeah i'm working on that um waiting for games for dead Dells to come out and then i've also got to write because talon sister is a duology so there will be another book in that series that i have to write at some point so yeah so at the moment i'm finishing one scary book and then uh, i'll probably be editing talent sister again um and then i will probably be writing uh the next talent sister book i'm so it's so difficult to get it straight in my head sometimes because <laughs> there's so many things have so many projects that are kind yeah. of going on sort of concurrently so yeah so i'm either i'm always either editing off or drafting something basically and in terms of the actual you know you're you're quite prolific in terms of your output i mean how how many hours a day are you actually writing are you do you have quite a strict regime or does it vary depending on what you're writing at the time yeah it kind of it varies wildly to be honest um because i i i now write um i don't write full time but i'm i have a part-time book at a bookshop um part-time book at a bookshop part-time job at a bookshop. <laughs> um which is two days a week and I also do freelance copywriting um so that's sometimes I'm doing that um and then the rest of the time I'm writing so from day, day to day I kind of try to get up and be working um for most of I guess from about 10 till about six that will be sort of writing time mm-hmm. um and that tends to be my priority so everything else gets squeezed around that basically. And then there's two days where I'm working at a bookshop, um, uh, trying to, you know, uh, absorb all the bookishness that I can. Um, yeah. And then every now and then I'll have a copywriting job, which, um, I actually write copy for, um, the folio society. So a lot of my copy is also writing about books. So, um, yeah, there's like, wall-to-wall book stuff embedded in that world yeah Yeah, very much so yeah what was the last book that you read oh um what was the last book so i'm currently reading manhattan beach by jennifer egan all right um who she's one of those authors that I'm uh, trying to force on everyone who comes in the bookshop at the moment. Um, but she won, she won the Pulitzer prize for uh, a visit from the goon squad. Yeah. A few years ago. That was I a guess. fantastic book. I love that. Amazing book. 
um but people don't really you know when i when i people ask for recommendations and i give them that book everyone's like what is this you know and it's like it literally won the pulitzer prize why does nobody know about this book um and she also wrote a book called the keep which i loved um so i'm sort of treating myself every now and then to her backlist basically um uh, manhattan beach is like a historical fiction noir i think sort of set in um, 1940s new york uh it's really good nice i've only uh, ever read a visit from the goodness god so i should try and read other mm, stuff i do yeah i mean she's brilliant and the keep is really weird and short which um i always quite like in a book so um i would definitely recommend that um what else did i read i read oh i read god killer by hannah oh, yeah. yeah looking forward to that one yeah. yeah which is really good uh Obviously, she's one of Juliet's authors as well, so I got an early copy, which is nice. one of the perks, you know. Um, and it's brilliant, yeah. And that's coming out, I guess, this I think very soon, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Soon, isn't it? yeah. So that's really good, really amazing cover uh, as well. And I think just before Christmas, I read Shame by Jack Schaefer, which is um, a Western. Yeah. I was um, going to say, is that the... Is that the one they made the film of years yes. ago? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Jack Lance, is it? Yeah, I can't oh. remember. I don't. Think, I think I saw the film when I was a kid. But um, yeah, the book's also very good. Um, if you're looking for like a really short, big dose of like Western tropes and uh, stuff, I really enjoyed it. Um, nice. Yeah. Um, what about the last film that you watched? Hmm. Um. Oh, I watched The Menu last night. Oh, I've not watched it yet. That's on my list. Oh, yeah, it's really fun. Um, really enjoyed it. I think I've seen a few people on, online saying that they didn't really like it, but I think maybe it depends on whether you've ever worked in the service industry or not. Mm-hmm. I think if you've ever had a customer-facing job, you'll really like it. You <laughs> <laughs> know, You know, I've worked um, in bookshops and stuff, and I've worked on... Um, customer service as a phone person and all this stuff. And I've dealt with some fairly dreadful rich people over the phone. And, you know, so I quite enjoyed the menu. I would say, you know, <laughs> kill all these rich people immediately. Um, yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed that. And I think before that I watched um, the Banshees of Inishirin. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I've seen I loved it. Yeah. That was fantastic. I yeah. Really good. I, I, I think I was expecting it to be funnier. I mean, it is funny. But it's also really sad. Yeah, um, I, I, yeah, I agree. I think based on his, his, on his older films, I, th- I was expecting more kind of more laughter, but it's actually quite mm-hmm. kind of poignant and, and sad at points. Yeah. But very, very good. Yeah, really, yeah, really good. Um, some really amazing cinematography in it. Obviously, incredible performances from everyone, and some really like a couple of really big belly laughs as well. Yeah, <laughs> just some really outrageous um, moments. But yeah, really loved it. Excellent. Um, and what what about the last TV show that you watched or are watching? Hmm. Um, I'm watching. Oh, I'm binge watching Happy Valley because oh. everyone's banging on about it now. So, uh, <laughs> so I have to because I, I missed the boat with Line of Duty as well. You know, when um, mm-hmm. the last couple of series of that, everyone was suddenly really excited about it, and I thought I have to watch. I have to find out what everyone's you know talking yeah. about. So I binge watch all of Line of Duty. And now I'm doing the same with Happy Valley, which kind of feels kind of similar, but um, I guess more, more serious, the... isn't it? I suppose more yeah. realistic, maybe in a way. Like, yeah, I more. Do you think it's very over the top? I felt Line of the Duty has gone 
it started off <laughs> kind of realistic and then yeah it just came. went 24 yeah yeah. Exactly. yeah yeah i i mean i think there was the was it the series with um dot uh, who was the you know he was they were closing in on him that series where he like texts his you know yeah. bad bosses and they come and rescue him and i was just yeah. like, <laughs> no, that's right. so ridiculous he jumps on the back of a bin lorry yeah that was the the jump the shark moment i felt yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. I kind of i loved that series and then after that i felt like they couldn't do anything quite as yeah. ridiculous so it never yeah. it was never quite as fun after that but yeah. um yeah yeah so happy valley really love it uh really um the it's so great to have a, a female a central female character who's so tough but also very vulnerable you know um spends a lot of time being emotional but also you know kicking people in the uh butt all the time uh just being really angry enough i just really identify with her basically <laughs> <laughs> fantastic well yeah. oh, oh and the other i do want to there's one more tv show that i'm obsessed with um uh-huh. and it's the bear have you watched oh it? yeah, I've, I've not watched it. it. Like I've heard so many oh. good things, it's, but I've, I've not watched it yet. Very yeah. tense, apparently. It's yeah. I mean, the first episode is really chaotic and stressful. Mm-hmm. So I've been trying to get other people to watch it, and everyone bounces off the first episode because it's so hectic. Oh, okay. But you have to get past the first episode, and then it's just brilliant. Really, really good. Right, cool. So that's that's also on the growing ever growing list of shows I, will I mean it's quite short watching. if that helps i mean it's about half an it hour does, to be fair, yeah, quick, that, yeah okay that's <laughs> yeah i have heard that, yeah it's a very quick episodes although they can feel quite long given the stress yeah I mean, it's very stressful but then and they will make you really hungry as well because it's all about you know this sandwich shop um in chicago i think and so there's lots of really lovely uh photography of amazing sandwiches so you will need something to eat if you're going to watch so what you after dinner Mm, yeah because it's yeah you just really want a burger afterwards <laughs> uh, well the very very last thing we always do is a super quick fire either or um and I, I say there's no right answer here apart from one but we'll start off with uh let's go for terry pratchett or robin hobb oh what That's a disgusting question <laughs> um oh man terry pratchett i guess you know because i mean he's a genius yeah yeah uh, and uh, game related one uh, Red Dead Redemption or Dragon Age oh Dragon Age yeah <laughs> I mean I love Red Dead Redemption but dra- I have an unhealthy fixation with Dragon Age so. fair enough uh, TV or cinema mm. Mm. TV probably yeah uh, Night Owl or Early Bird Night Owl yeah um, music or no music when you're writing Oh, um, I do listen to music when I'm writing. It's you will, will not be surprised to find out that it's video game soundtracks that I listen to <laughs> while I'm writing. Yeah, so Dragon Age, Red Dead Redemption, um, uh, God of War. Yeah, God of War is a good one. I was going to say, yeah, nice. really good. Um, so yeah, oh, Lord of the Rings as well is a great um, mm-hmm. soundtrack to write. Yeah, so as long as there's no speaking in it, I can't concentrate. Yeah. There's like yeah. lyrics, but yeah. Uh, fancy restaurant or takeaway? Oh, mm. fancy restaurant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love both, obviously, but um, yeah. I mean, after two years of not being able to go to a fancy restaurant, yeah. It's nice to have <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, and the last one, real book or ebook? Mm. Mm. I, I have to say real book, don't I? Because I do work in a bookshop. So, um, oh, yeah. I've no, been so much trouble. against me from the start that question. Well, I, I do read loads of ebooks because um, there is no more space in our flat, basically. For <laughs> so, also, for fantasy it's... books, you yeah, have 600 say, pages. Yeah. yeah. Dream to read an ebook is just wonderful. There's something oh, satisfying about reading a, a chunky fantasy book, getting to the end of it. Yeah, I mean, it's like they are lovely objects when they've yeah. been read and the spine's all broken and they're a bit beaten up. I just love that. But... No, 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 don't, no. don't talk about oh, breaking spines. Is this a contentious issue with you two or something? your argument? I hate, uh, like when I read a book, it's like try very carefully not to break the spine and things. Shining oh. a head torch down the page <laughs> as it just opens at a crack. Jesse. No, no, I cannot. I love, I love to, I love paperbacks and I love them because they get, you know, kind of beaten up and messy. Oh, and, no. so. right, I'm that, not, that, that's distressed me too much. I'm going to have to end the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just don't ever let me borrow books because I, you know, you won't get them back in a good state. Don't have that problem on, on an ebook. Just say no, <laughs> spines are always perfect on yeah. digital mm. copies. You've just finished the beer as well, Tarek, I think, isn't it? Oh right? yeah. I've, just just finished it last week. It's, have you watched it? No, it's on my very long to be watched list i mean i've still not finished the last of us i've not watched succession oh. season oh, Mark, three you're gonna, Never mind you're gonna season get four. the spoilers the trouble is that i want to watch all these things with my wife and then we never seem to find the time to do it so i fall behind no, in all of these yeah <laughs> you need to just watch it yourself and then watch it again later and just act surprised at the twist yeah something yeah on. that's not a bad show actually although i like the fact that the beer episodes are, are pretty short although yeah highly it was, stressful, it's like a half hour i think it, yeah i don't I, to be honest some of them are like 25 minutes or so and i think that was quite enough of straight there's one episode in particular which is one take i think it's about 19 20 minutes long and it's one take and it's it's pretty relentless and by the end of it you're like actually that's that's enough i don't think i could have much more yeah. than that no i'm definitely looking forward to watching it it's very good though yeah um but yeah thanks to jen for for coming on uh that was a really fun and interesting chat i thought and you know um it was interesting what she said about being well taking the sort of self-publishing route with part of what what became part of her, her first published novel you know she yeah. put, put it out as a as a sort of novella yeah and that that was then used as a novel and it was published as a debut and it didn't really make a difference that she had sort of self-pubbed part of it before. No, totally. And and often the kind of conventional wisdom that you hear people saying is, you know, that's a death knell for a book. You know, if you put anything up online, you've lost your chance to be a debut or it, nobody would want to buy it because it was, it was available for free for a while, etc. But I think like everything we've experienced, really, it's there's no right or wrong way there's no hard or fast rule so yeah i mean this is a great example of someone who put something up online someone saw it and jumped on it and then took it down reformatted it fixed up a little bit and then put it out as a better product yeah and that's, definitely that's great yeah no so um uh, you know as ever another interesting route into into being published yeah. no no two writers have the same path it, absolutely it is uh, interesting and we've got another interesting debut author next week, still in the world yeah, of crime. Still in the world of crime. Uh, we're chatting with Elliot Sweeney, who uh, worked as a community psychiatric nurse 
and uh, went into the crime writing world and he says he likes to infuse his writing with his day job. So a lot of issues that he explores, uh, topics that he wants to discuss, he kind of takes that from his day job, puts into his crime writing and Next to Die is his debut novel. Yeah, and yeah, it's a, another interesting chat. You know, he he talks about the sort of struggles to get published and all of this sort of thing that, that, that so many debut authors go through. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's a good chat. So please do tune in for that one. Um, if you've enjoyed today's episode, please do take the time to rate and review us on your favourite podcast app. That really helps us to continue to get great guests. And as I mentioned at the start, please do check out our new podcast, Page One Extra, uh, which is available as audio only or as a video podcast on YouTube. And if you'd like to get in touch, you can always drop us a tweet in the Twitter machine, which is at UK page one, or send us an email, which is podcast at rightgear.co.uk, or come along to our Mastodon channel. Is it a channel? Is a, yeah, I'm not sure it. what they call it, actually. The they? Terminology. They call it the but, come along to Mastodon. but I don't know. What? They call it the what? The Fediverse. Feder- the Fediverse. Because it's I mean, federated... Something. I mean, this is more reasons why I'm not really involved in this nonsense. But anyway, if you do, if you are interested in Mastodon, you can find us at writing.exchange forward slash at page one pod. I thought I thought calling it the Fediverse would attract you because you like the Star Trek. It <laughs> sounds a bit marvelous. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, come come visit us and and make a comment on on one of our many many channels. But otherwise, we will <laughs> be back next week uh, with another great episode. So we hope to speak to you then. See you later. Thank you.